millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in our studio today with two people who have served greatly and over a long period of time served the Voice of the Martyrs to help us serve the persecuted Christians in the country of Cuba. We're going to talk about that today. We have Pastor Pedro and his wife Maria with us today. Pastor Pedro and Maria, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. It is a privilege for us to be here this morning. It is a privilege for us to have you. How did you first learn about the work of Voice of the Martyrs? So I was about 13 years old. My dad was a pastor in the Cuban city of Olguin. We had gotten some books called Tortured for Christ, but it was forbidden to read those by the government. So they got word that they were coming to check the house. One of my husband's uncles got the notice, although he wasn't my husband back then. He worked at the church. So his uncle and I started burning those books. And then after we burned them, we cleaned up the ashes so that when the government came, they couldn't find the books. And they didn't find the books. So at, at that time, you were 13 years old. Yes. And it was it was more important to burn the books than to be caught with them. What would have happened if you had been caught with Tortured for Christ? If they had found my dad with those books, he would have gone to prison. We didn't even understand why that book was so dangerous. We hadn't even read it yet. We didn't have time to read it. So my dad had heard of the book, but we hadn't read it. And when I moved to the U.S. years later, I started working for the same people who had made that book. And I felt really touched because the voice of the martyr was working for people just like us who had suffered for the gospel. I was never able to go to university in Cuba because I was a Christian. So when I found this ministry, I found brothers and sisters who cared about me. And that gave me the motivation to work hard on behalf of others who are suffering for the gospel. So at that time, you didn't know where those books had come from? Like you didn't know who had delivered them or or where they had come from? No, we had no idea. Wow. But obviously, Voice of the Martyrs was working in Cuba at that time. Somebody delivered those books, uh, and they came into the possession of your father, who was a pastor. Yes. So years later, when you read the book in the United States, what did you think of Pastor Wormbrand and his story? He had suffered so much, much more than we had. He had suffered up to the point of almost dying. Something my father had taught me was that if I denied Christ, he would deny me. In that book, I discovered that it didn't matter if I died for the sake of the gospel. And I learned that the voice of the martyrs is something important because we let people know that they are not alone. Amen. Because in that moment, we were feeling very alone. What does it mean to you now that you're you're the face of the voice of the martyrs helping people in Cuba who are just like you were helped all those years ago? Over everything, there's something very important, and that is prayer. Because the point of Voice of the Martyrs, more than anything else, is prayer. 
And when we were in difficult moments, we felt people's prayers. In fact, recently, we had a situation where they were going to put my husband in prison. And I told him, no, we're going to trust God. And everybody was praying. And we felt those prayers. We felt like God sent his angels to help us. So prayer is the most important. Pedro, tell us about that experience. How, how did it come about that you were about to get arrested in Cuba? The problem is that the communists, everything that smells like freedom, for them, it's the enemy. And they think that VOM is part of the CIA. The authorities in Cuba, they know about VOM. I mean, they know who we are. For them, the word ministry and the, vo the word voice of the martyrs, those are not welcome words. Or Billy Graham Association, or Open Doors. And those organizations are considered subversive or enemy organizations. And there was a very, very big problem in Cuba that not long ago, uh, an officer from the army had beaten up the son of a pastor and he was he ended, ended up crippled. And it was very difficult to get that testimony out of Cuba. We have paperwork with lawyers and doctors, but it's very difficult to go where this family is located, even today. And I was being watched so that we wouldn't go visit that family. They even had to set up a trap for me. And when we started that trip to Cuba, we were already being threatened from the moment we arrived. And they followed us from Havana to Holguin, 12 hours of travel. And they knew every place we were going to be visiting. In the house where we stayed at, they, we were already being threatened by the government. And twice they went to look for me in the address that I wrote down in Havana with a police car and a paper, official paperwork that said that it was to take me to prison. A brother walked for two hours at night, crossing a river four times until he found us. And he said, you have to go back to Havana. And I told my wife, we have to go back to Havana. And she said, no, we're not going back to Havana. Let's finish our work, and then we go. So in the middle of the night, we grabbed two horses under a really intense rain. A heavy rain in the middle of the night, super dark, the horses were sleeping down the hill. And the, the pastor knew there was a little hill where we could get cell phone signal. So we were protecting the phones from the water. We called Havana. And my wife talked to another pastor lady in Havana. Women are brave. And the lady in Havana said, stay there. Do everything you have to do and then come back. So the, the paperwork was basically an arrest warrant? Yes, yeah, a detention warrant. So did you stay and finish the work? We finished the work. We went to a church that was closed for 17 years. And that day they were celebrating their anniversary, their reopening anniversary. And the brothers were coming forward that at the beginning of the revolution had suffered a lot. And they were sharing the arrests the, the that they have gone through. And we heard from the brothers and sisters that when they were kids, they would get under the bed because the, the police were coming to the houses to check how many people were gathering at those house churches. Because for 17 years, the church was closed, but the church remained in houses. They share how some pastors were sent to war camps to cut uh, sugarcane. They called them the Oma. It was like a concentration camp. Whoever was religious will go there. And they send them to cut sugarcane as a punishment. So somebody that was there shared about his experience in the concentration camps. And they share how they were used to stay and go to bed in the floor of a church on Christmas Eve. And the pastor was her dad, and they will sleep on the benches and on the floor in the church so they could be on the Christmas service. And that was something glorious for them. So they invited me to go preach there. And there was, there was a law that said that I could preach. So I preached. And that was amazing. The Lord moved in a powerful way. We were in the service in the mountain where the glory of God fell. And it was not because I was there. It was the Lord. It was so intense that I cannot remember having experienced experience as such in my whole life. But it was time to go back to Havana. 
We didn't even shower. We went straight to the uh, government's office, and my wife went with me. So you had this amazing experience at the Church in the Mountains. Did you feel like perhaps God was preparing you for persecution or, or for the possibility of being arrested? Every time we go there, we know we have the possibility of not coming back to the United States because we wouldn't be the first ones to be sent to prison. But as my wife said, prayer is what sustains us. It's not that we're so brave, but that in that moment, the Lord is the one that sustains you. And I told the pastor when we were going to my appointment with the state security, would you have a friend or somebody in authority that could help us out in this situation? And say, yes, I have somebody and he's really good. What's his name? Jesus Christ. <laughs> he's in a position of great authority. Because the brother was taking me. He's used to be interrogated more times than I have been interrogated. The Lord put on my heart that he was the angel he had sent, but I was really afraid. The commander looked at me and said, don't worry, nothing is going to happen. He was in this high position, but he didn't know what the people under him had done. And at times that created some conflict. But he diffused what they had planned for Pedro. Wow. So he had enough power to cancel the, the arrest warrant. Yep. He canceled it. But the next day, he sent two people that were like dogs. They threatened me, and they told me that I couldn't share in Cuba. All Cubans can share when they go to Cuba, but I am not authorized to preach in Cuba or to go to events or to take donations. Nothing like that I've been doing, but I have preached. But I thought I had permission because of the law. But specifically, it's me who can't preach. And they told me, this is a warning, you can't. They talked very harshly to me. And they wanted me to write names on a piece of paper of all my contacts. And I asked the Lord, please don't let me shake or tremble before of them. I don't want to be afraid. Because it's normal when you're being interrogated to, to shake and to tremble, especially with those type of pe people that are demonic. So when they put a the piece of paper in front of me, I later thought of Richard Woman's movie when they were asking him to write something on the piece of paper. In that moment, I didn't think about that. It was later. But there was a word that came out of me. When they gave me the piece of paper in the, in the, pa in the pen, I told them, that's your job to write those names. It's not my job. They asked me about Voice of the Martyrs. So what's your deal and your relationship with Voice of the Martyrs? And I told them a great truth, the relationship that every pastor in the United States has with Voice of the Martyrs. We receive the petitions of those suffering for the, the gospel. I use the example of ISIS when they were chopping heads off in the Middle East. How Voice of the Martyrs is concerned about those type of people, about the widows. And they asked me then, does Cuba qualify for Voice of the Martyrs? And I answered, well, I don't know if any pastor has been in prison right now. So I grabbed the pen and said, Yes, I'm going to write something, and I'm going to write it in big letters. The vision of Voice of the Martyrs, to help everybody that suffers for the gospel. And that was it. That's what I wrote. How did they respond to that? I told them, you scare my, my fam family member that is an older lady, going in the middle of the night with the police looking for me. But then your aunt's going to see that there's nothing wrong. And we prayed for Cuba, even if you want to believe it or not. So they let me go. And it seemed like everything was finished. And I told the pastor that took us to the airport, hey, you can go home. We're done. Everything has, is finished now. And I said, no, no, no. I'm not leaving this place until you go past security. So we had an agreement that he always goes first and I go after him so that if he gets detained, I can always stay behind him in Cuba. But I went first. And I was waiting there and I saw that they had taken him. So they took him and I stood there and I thought to myself, I said, I am going to make a scandal. I am going to yell so that everybody will look and they'll know what's happening. There were actually two church members from my church there that I didn't even know were there. 
They are a little bit crazy. And they said to me, Maria, where are they taking your husband? And I said, I don't know. So they stood there next to me and said, let's all make a lot of noise. We have to get our pastor back. And then after they had me wait for a while because they took both my passports, they took me to a small office like this one, and they interrogated me again. This time, these people were dressed as like civilians, but I knew they, were, they belonged to the state security. And I told them, you're asking me the same questions you asked me yesterday. So after I knew I had answered every question, I stood up and getting ready to leave, but I had to sit down again because they had more questions about the place I had visited in the island. There were a lot of people praying all around the world, even Mexico, even in Chiapas, Mexico, they were praying for him in that exact moment. And hear that voice of the martyrs, and by God's grace, they gave me my passports, and I left. I made it to the United States in less than a week. They sent me a young pastor with threats from the government to my house in Miami. So what were the threats? They told me, if you go, we're going to arrest you. But more than that, it was to let me know the way they threaten you is this way. They call the pastor. They say, oh, this one person is very dangerous. And they tell them, so don't talk to him. Don't communicate with him. And then they start talking bad about my work in every place that I've been. Because they know where I go. They know every country I visit. But by God's grace, I'm here. It's not the first time that, that something happens to me. And that's why she says she always goes first. I mean, I always go first and then she goes. Because other times they have put me on planes. And they just send me back to where I came from. And they don't let me come into the country. They don't like me. So, Pastor Pedro, they said, if you come back to Cuba, we're going to arrest you. Yeah, those are the threats they give to me. But I've, I've been back, even though I have those threats. And then they also tell the pastors in Cuba, if you talk to Pastor Pedro, there's going to be trouble for you too, right? I mean, that's—so it's a threat on you, and it's a threat on anybody who talks yeah. to you when you're in the country. Yes. There are pastors there. that They don't like me. They don't want to get a picture with me. They're afraid. Because it's risky for them. Yes. So, obviously, you've— said, I'm willing to take this risk, but how do you feel about putting those pastors at risk when you work alongside them? They're always pastors, and it's the majority, that they're strong. They don't care to get a picture with me or to be with me. We are welcomed all the time. Many of them, leaders, have told me, please don't come, because you're much useful in the United States than here. And that's why some other people are risking their lives to go. Because that brother that I could, was never, ever able to visit was visited by Maria. Maria can go still. But she went hiding, and the risk that she took was great. So how do you feel when you land knowing that you're, you're the messenger from this guy who's in trouble? Do you feel afraid? Or, or how do you deal with the sort of fear intimidation? So there was a season when I was afraid, but God worked in me and took that fear away. Right now, I'm not afraid. At a certain point, I actually wanted them to call me and to get me, but they never said anything to me when I went back. You have to travel with your Cuban passport, which has my last name, which is different from him. It has my father's name in there, so they don't even recognize that I'm his wife. Which is helpful. <laughs> One day they called me, and they showed me his name on a paper, and they said, Do you know this person? I saw it. I read the name, and I said, Yes. They said, Who is he? I said, The pastor of my church. <laughs> they asked me, So do you know him well? And I said, Yes, because how am I not going to know my own pastor? <laughs> so that day, when he was about to be arrested— See, I've always been really careful with who I am and with my name. But that day I said, I am his wife. Where he goes, I go. But it didn't happen. 
So I continue to go back. I know they're following me, but they never say anything to me. So I have my own policy for doing the job. There's a little animal that changes color, and that is my strategy. Yes, I can do the job. Maria, talk a little bit more. You, you said there was a time when you were very afraid, and the Lord kind of took away that fear. How, how long of a process was that? Did you tr- kind of pray through that fear, or how, how did that happen? How did that work? So before, the process was that I was really afraid. When I was there, I would shake, and when they were asking me questions, I felt like I couldn't breathe. But one day I started praying, and I asked God, Listen, you've chosen me for this job. You have to take this fear away. And I don't even know how this happened, but I was also afraid of flying in airplanes. And every time I flew, I was very scared. And the day that I lost my fear of flying, I didn't realize it, but I also wasn't afraid of being interrogated anymore. So my family doesn't want me to go to Cuba. And they say, aren't you afraid? And I tell them, no, what can they do to me? I tell them, if they send me to prison, well, good, because I'll be famous for being in prison for Christ. Just like the apostles, I've seen how they died. And so the fear left. I think God did it so that I could do this job because we have also gone to Colombia and I was not afraid there. And when I went to Chiapas, I was afraid, but God took that away. I love that prayer. Lord, if you're calling me to this work, then you need to take care of this fear. (laughs) And he answered that prayer. Pedro, are things different now in Cuba? Has anything changed since Fidel Castro's death? Is anything different as far as how the government treats the church and, and treats Christians? The biggest change that you can see in Cuba is that when Fidel Castro came into power, he said that in 10 years, every church were going to become schools. There has been 62 years since he said that. And Christians in Cuba, in many schools, they have secret Christian circles, in prisons, and in every municipality in Cuba, from east to west, north to south, Cuba is filled of the, the gospel. There are hundreds of thousands of lives of people that have come to the Lord. I don't know how many times the church has had multiplied after 62 years. And we, we, we know that many members from the government quit the Communist Party to become Christians. Many people with degrees trained by the government, they're now pastors. Cuba is filled with the gospel. But that doesn't mean there's peace with the church. Not long ago, we heard that there's an organization called Assemblies of God, whose church in Santiago de Cuba was demolished with bulldozers. And before that, this year, 2020, they demolished the third Baptist church in Santiago de Cuba. The church will never have peace in this government. But the important thing is that that doesn't affect the church. Those are buildings. The church remains strong. And the Christians will get stronger in the midst of persecution. Things have changed. For example, now we can get Bibles into Cuba. And that's something powerful. Because many Bibles from different groups are coming into the country. And that's the best book in the world. When the, when the government comes in and demolishes a church building... What do they say? Is the, Do they say, we don't want a church, so we're tearing down the building? Or do they have some excuse? There's always an excuse. But what happens is that there is not a solution. They don't, they don't tell you, hey, what do you build a church over here? And if that was the case, it's because the church will remain strong and firm. Uh, what I mean is, even if they destroy their building, then the church gathers in a different place. It's not that the church disappeared. The building disappeared, but not the church. Amen. That's a good reminder for us. We, we tend to be somewhat building-focused 
uh, and think of the church as the place we go on Sunday instead of the body of Christ that that is or that is the church. It is hard. It's not an easy thing to go through because it's very humbling. You you want to cry when you see how powerless Christians are in front of those bulldozers destroying the place and not being able to do anything. That makes your flesh come out when you see those people treating Christians like that. As we finish up, we always try to equip people to pray. We've talked about the importance of prayer and how powerful prayer is. How do we pray for the church in Cuba right now? When I talk to the Christians in Cuba, when I ask them, how can we pray for you? They tell me, please pray that we'll remain firm. I was once meeting with a high officer with the UN. He had a secret meeting in Cuba with some leaders, and I was surprised. I didn't want to be there. I unplugged the phone because they could have had a mic, and I translated with my bad English. And this man told one of the leaders, right now I can go speak to the Pope. I can go speak to Obama, and I can go speak to Raul Castro. What would you like me to tell them to do for the church in Cuba? And one of the leaders said, we don't want anything from the Pope. We don't want anything from Obama and nothing from Castro. And we're not asking for persecution to be removed. We just want people to pray so that we remain faithful. Amen. Wow. And he said it with energy and conviction. What what things is VOM doing right now to help the church in Cuba? The greatest thing that they do right now is every time something happens in the island, they move an army of people that pray. And they're always concerned for those that specifically are suffering direct attacks, that are suffering and being persecuted directly. And they're doing many other things that they do in silence, but they're very important. And those things strengthen the church in such ways that we will never be able to even imagine. It's like what the Bible says. In Ephesians, it says that he does things greater than our imagination. And I think that that's what is happening in Cuba right now. Amen. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com. All donations of $2 and more are tax-deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.